Another week, another indictment of Donald Trump. We'll review the newest and perhaps most important case against the former president. Then we'll check in on the 2024 campaign, including some newly released data that suggests Trump's campaign may be near broke. Finally, a leading economist says the Biden administration is the most successful economic presidency since FDR. We'll unpack the numbers. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, you actually said another week, another indictment, but it's actually multiple indictments because Jack Smith also dropped a superseding indictment in the documents case. So he actually added more charges to Trump down there. That was later last week after we'd recorded. But let's focus on the headline, though. Let's focus on the big indictment. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. so Trump was indicted yesterday uh, for a criminal case accusing him of sub, you know, trying to and conspiring to subvert the will of American voters. Uh, and he's uh, scheduled to appear in federal court in Washington on Thursday. And he will appear before a magistrate judge, and the case will eventually uh, be passed on to U.S. District Court Tanya Chutkin, I believe her name is. Uh, she's a former public defender, a 2014 Obama appointee who has actually presided over some January 6 cases before. And she's actually, uh, according to some reporting, from the Washington Post, she has uh, implemented some of the toughest sentences in January 6 cases before. She sentenced every one of the 31 defendants to have come before her related to January 6 to at least some jail or prison time. And she has exceeded prosecutors' sentencing recommendations nine times and uh, granted them 14 times. So she's tough, tough judge, I think, for the president here, not exactly Aileen Cannon. Yeah, Trump after round. Trump go find out. Yeah. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah. really what it is. Very different. I mean, it's it, yeah, very different than it, the Florida it, case here. Yeah, um, you know, I guess we should go through what the actual charges is. Charges yeah. are. are. You do you want to do that or should yeah. we? Yeah, we could also ahead. do. We could also talk about what the charges is. Uh, sure. Let's. Hey. Yeah. All the all the English. But but I think it's worth mentioning that the last time we talked about this, we were like all this legalese. Here's what's going on, but it's a highly suspect judge with a. Uh, a tougher jury pool. So I think the headline here is this is going to be a tough judge for Trump and the jury pool probably not going to be great for him given this Washington, D.C. So that's a starting point. Mm -hmm. But um, the indictment focuses on four areas, basically the same set of facts, but four different areas, pressuring state election officials to change the results, organizing a fake slate of electors, using the Department of Justice to pressure state officials to change their electoral votes and attempting to get Pence to refuse to certify the results. The lead charge, and I think the most important charge, is 18 U.S.C. 371, which is sort of catch-all conspiracy charge. Uh, Count one charges a conspiracy to defraud the United States by obstructing and defeating the lawful counting of votes and certification of the election. Uh, And conspiracy, you know, in this case, he's got a bunch of unindicted co-conspirators. I think it's no secret who some of them are. Uh, That first case of that first charge of conspiracy seems to be, I think, the most important one here. Yeah, you know what I've been thinking about a lot because the the mission of this show is to help people talk about these things, right, in their everyday conversations. And I've been thinking when I was reading the indict, indictment, I was thinking about it that way, right? Because clearly the Trump defense, both in the court of public opinion and in the court of law, is going to be, "Hey, this is free speech." I believed the Trump believed that the election was not fair and that there was fraud, and I have a First Amendment right to go out and say that. And if these people went and you know, trash the Capitol and try to stop the vote. That's not on me. I didn't enter the Capitol. Like, and 
what is interesting about this is I think that that argument, which will be the legal argument, is actually, I think, and this is not what always happens, the same argument that they're going to make in the court of public opinion. Like that's mm -hmm. what I think people who listen and watch this show are going to hear from their Trump loving family members, right? With their little own, their own little jury pool of undecided voters sitting there at the at the dinner table and and so I think you've got to break and I'm interested in what you think about this. I my thinking is you've got to break this down and explain it in a way where you 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 almost forget that he's president for a minute, right? And it's like, look, okay, forget that the place where they were certifying the election or or, or counting the votes, basically counting the electoral votes was the US Capitol for a minute. And imagine it's like just the county clerk's office. And mm -hmm. he's just and he's just a local guy who is spreading the word and telling people, hey, what they're doing is illegal in there. Somebody should go and stop it. And then he's got people and then he's sending other people out to recruit people to go and stop it. And then he's coming up and he's like a part of the scheme to come up with phony paperwork to go and stop it. Like, yeah. Would anybody argue that that person would not be guilty of a criminal conspiracy? I don't think they would. Yeah, you, you're right. And those, those are the two big defenses. First Amendment, which Jack Smith goes straight at in the indictment document and says, hey, there are certain things that Trump did that are, you know, maybe ethically questionable, but weren't illegal. And then there are certain things he did that are illegal. And that's the conspiracy. Like conspiracies involve people getting in rooms and talking to each other. So if John Gotti directs Sammy the Bull Gravano to go murder somebody, yes, he's using speech, but he's also using speech to carry out violence. So in the case of Trump, right. the First Amendment isn't going to be enough for him. The other one and the biggest one that's going to be the biggest focus, as you say, is whether he thought he won or not. But if you think you lose, you have to challenge through proper channels. And paragraph 60, uh, 66 of the indictment says that Trump directed fraudulent, fraudulent electors to convene sham proceedings to cast fraudulent electoral votes in his favor. And paragraph 31 quotes these audio recordings from the Georgia Secretary of State uh, that we should go to because uh, Trump you know, basically gives it away here. Uh, let's remind folks of, of this conversation between uh, then-President Donald Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Raffsenberger. Look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. Yeah. Can we, can yeah. we stop for a second and just, uh, you know, Al Franken did a thing, a joke a little while back on stage, I remember seeing where he talked about uh, the idea of like, what if Raffensperger had gone along with it? Like imagine Raffensperger calls a press conference and he comes out and he's like, so I found exactly 11,780, like one more than we needed. Al's point being like, not only was it a criminal conspiracy, but it was an incredibly stupid plan. <laughs> like, right. you know? Well, anyway. he 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 was he was quoted uh, multiple times, uh, you know, talking to generals. Basically, admitted he knew this was wrong. He there was a, a quote in this document where he uh, told Pence that you're too honest. So that seems to be relevant. And um, and Smith says multiple times that he believes that Trump knew what he was saying. Uh, he said, "quote This is on page one. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. But the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate. He created an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election." And then on the next page, he says, "The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud." 
during the election and that he had won. He also is entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as seeking recounts or audits of the popular votes in states. Indeed, many cases defendant did pursue these methods. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges were uniformly unsuccessful. So saying, look, yeah, you could do all those things. But then he goes on in later pages to talk about uh, pressuring DOJ lawyers, inciting violence at at the Capitol, calling the Georgia Secretary of State. I mean, these are things that go beyond merely using your political speech, you know, pressuring the vice president. Yeah, I, I, I think the important thing to think about here is twofold. One, uh, whenever you talk about this with someone, it, it is an attempt to overthrow the government. Again, take away the fact that he was already president, right? Imagine that he was a guy who had unsuccessfully run for president and then went out and was part of a conspiracy to recruit people to to submit false paperwork that would appear that he had won, like literally just turn stuff in saying somebody won who didn't win. You would say that person tried to overthrow the government, right? And two, then go back and remember he was president. And so all this stuff having to do with uh, DOJ and you know calling and pressuring governors and that kind of thing and, and secretaries of state, then you can take out all the fancy words and all the fancy language and, and you can look at it as what it is, which is abuse of power. And, th- and that, mm-hmm. that's, that's really like, because people are, there are going to be people who have a hard time stomaching the idea that, you know, a president, is, a former president is being prosecuted for things they did as president. That's the, that's the difference here, right? The documents case is he left the White House, he was no longer entitled to those documents, and then he refused to give them back. That's a that's a prosecution against a person who has returned to private life for something that they did in private life. This is a prosecution of a former president for things he did in his capacity, not his lawful capacity, but in his capacity as president. Meaning this is had water had Ford not pardoned Nixon, right? Then then that's where we would be, right? Mm-hmm. It, where we would have been. So this so it's not that this is it that we've never face something like this, it's that uh, we've never gone this far in it, where there was an actual prosecution, and people are going to have a hard time seeing it as legitimate. And it's important to understand that's because the only time this ever happened before, the president resigned and there was a pardon of that president for abusing their power in order to you know, uh, alter the results in an election, in that case, to influence an election, but, but here, to actually change the rightful results. Like, that should be against the law. You should go to jail for that. Yeah, well, what's funny to me is that I'm seeing a couple arguments on the right. Obviously, the fringe right believes the election was stolen, and so that's like that's their defense to this is that he was right all along. But put that aside for a second. Um, what you're seeing from a lot of these senators is they're like, you know, this was morally incorrect, but it wasn't a crime. And they basically talk about how these statutes are vague. Like they've all of a sudden discovered that the statutes they've passed are vague and can be bent to to go after anybody. I'm like, okay, now all of a sudden now this is an issue. But um but then I would follow up if I was a reporter and then I asked, well, okay, if they were morally wrong, why did you vote for this guy? Why did you endorse him? Because almost all of these people, if not every single one of them, endorsed Donald Trump for presidency. And you're like, well, okay, like this is not like somebody who cheated on his wife, which of course he has done many times also. This is somebody who uh, took, you know, this is the guy with the nuclear codes in the most powerful position in the United States, 
who tried to use his position of authority to subvert the will of the electorate. There is no more important issue in American politics than this. So if he was wrong on this issue, like, why did you support him? You know, what, what is our recourse then? Like, if we can't use the courts, we can't use impeachment, we can't, you don't think that we should have voted him out, then what's the logical conclusion of this? We just have a dictator? Yeah, it's basically like, I'm cool with the dictator as long as he keeps my taxes low. Right. And, and appoints who I want to the Supreme Court, which if someone is taking that actual position out and out, like you're not going to convince that person, which is why right. it goes back to that little jury pool of your family and friends who are sitting there listening to your argument with that person. Um, yeah, I, this is, it's, we, we've become conditioned now with all of the, with everything since 2015, when he came down the escalator, uh, to have a hard time doing two things. One, seeing stuff as really like unprecedented and incredible. And two, believing that anybody will be held, held accountable in a real way. And really that second one can go all the way back to the 2008 financial collapse, right? Because nobody was held accountable there. And so we just sort of became conditioned to the idea that we're not holding powerful people accountable. I think it is important for us to recognize that right now, this is one, we've we never been here. Like you never had a president uh, indicted for abusing their power as president. Uh, and two, uh, like this is, this is him being held accountable. Uh, and it's, it actually, I don't know, it makes me feel patriotic, uh, which is not where I thought I'd be uh, right now, but that's how I feel about this. Does that make sense? For sure. And, you know, there's this sense that, you know, this it's I, I don't know what the equivalent is. It's like the opposite of survivorship bias where everybody's like, well, this is the Teflon Don, et cetera. And first of all, he lost his reelection and now he's got a bunch of cases in front of him. And one he will be found guilty in one of these cases. I think this is the most likely to get a guilty verdict, even though I think the, the charges in Florida are way more concrete and obvious. Uh, you know, obviously, if I was in a jury based on what I've seen, I would I would convict him in both here and in Florida. But the Florida ones are: he had the documents, he deleted his video footage, he very explicitly told everybody around him to get rid of evidence. He talked about the. I mean, that stuff is like lights out, right? Mm -hmm. um, but because of the jury and because of the judge and be, or a potential jury and because of the judge and because of the timing of all the classified documents, I would rank that second in terms of our power rankings of these cases. This is when I would definitely put number one because of where it's being held, who the judge is, and most importantly, the historic import of this. Like, of course, it's important for national security to hold accountable a president who brags about our most important national security issues, but this is the most important case that's going to happen in the Trump era. Uh, and mm -hmm. Uh, that's why I think the attention should go here. And it also doesn't involve as much classified information. So potentially this one could play out quicker. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's critical. But it also on the survivorship bias question, you know, there is some evidence that we're getting to Trump, that these cases are getting to Trump. Uh, Maggie Haberman um, went on uh, CNN recently, uh, I think last night, and, and talked about this. Let's go to the clip. But privately behind the scenes, he's very angry. He is much more rattled than he is projecting being. Again, as you say, everything with him is about appearances, and he wants to give off the appearance that everything is fine. He is very upset 
folks around him are very upset. On the one hand, they were relieved reading this indictment that there were not more details that they didn't know that were in it. On the other, there was a reference to six co-conspirators, and that raises questions about will anyone else face charges and will more details be revealed if that happens. Imagine your boss is indicted for trying to overthrow the government and you're relieved that the indictment doesn't have more stuff you didn't know in it. <laughs> you, that's like, get a new boss, like, <laughs> at that point. Well, also, by the way, like, just because the indictment doesn't have stuff you don't know about, it doesn't mean there isn't stuff that Trump doesn't right. know yet. Jack's, it could be strategic on Jack Smith's part. Uh, it's also worth mentioning these people who talk about, like, the lack of accountability, that prosecutors have already charged more than 1,000 people in connection to January 6th. Tons of those people have already gone to prison. We've had the January 6th hearings, which a lot of people also said were meaningless. But like the, the fingerprints on the January 6th hearing are all over this this indictment document, like the case that they laid out. Like, And if you remember, the January 6th um, uh, report was 400 plus pages. This document was much, much shorter than that. I think it was like 40 something pages, this document. So um, basically, the January 6th uh, hearings were important to unearth information. And this is... Uh, although slow, this is how this is supposed to happen. And the obvious urgency here is that if Trump wins or any other Republican wins, other than maybe Chris Christie, then which we all know is very unlikely to to be charitable about it, then they will pardon him on the federal charges. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's still highly uncertain what will happen next. And and to pour a little bit of cold water on this, like through appeals, like even if this, this trial happens fast, there's just a lot that can happen here um, between now and that election, you know? Yesterday, I had an interesting conversation where, um, as, as you know, and as a lot of the listeners know, I, we have an Afghan family that um, we basically adopted that's part of our family now. And, and so I spend a lot of time with them. And I was with uh, three of them yesterday because we were going to pick up a couch for their apartment that someone had donated. And so I, I, that's when the news broke about the indictment. And so I mentioned it to them and we hadn't, we haven't really talked much politics. They've, they've been here about six weeks. And, uh, and so I'm explaining it to them. And, and, and of course, one of them says, well, I, I know that we don't like, like, I, well, what I know about Trump is that he doesn't like refugees. Right. And so they kind of have their opinion about him anyway. But then they, they said, they were like, so now he definitely can't be president again, right? And I'm like, well, actually. <laughs> and, and so the experience of explaining to somebody who arrived in America like seven weeks ago uh, that, well, actually, a big part of the reason he's running is because if he becomes president, these cases have to stop and he can just pardon himself and explaining the concept of the pardon. And they're just like, what you know and and one of the guys was like well what i know about trump is there's two ladies who have accused him and also i remember he got beat up on wwe and like and so imagine like you're brand new to this country and and you're it's being explained to you that the previous leader uh is being prosecuted which probably doesn't sound that odd so i had to like really lean into the idea of like this is not a thing that happens in america like no. he had to really do bad stuff um so i don't know i just mentioned that to say it was kind of a surreal uh, conversation to like explain a- major aspects of the american system of like peaceful trans- transfer of power in the context of a guy being prosecuted for refusing to peacefully transfer power uh, anyway, 
It's historically um, monumental. Well, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll give some wrap-up thoughts about this indictment, and then we'll talk about some little-noticed information that was released recently about Trump's financial standing in this election, as well as some other interesting tidbits about the election. And then we're going to talk about Bidenomics and and whether Biden can, uh, you know, basically tell the story of this economy in a way to help boost his poll numbers and uh, help his election chances. So we're going to talk about all that and more when we come back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know that there's a lot of uncertainty out there in the world right now, and people are grappling with so many different forces, both within your control and outside of your control. And sometimes it's really hard to navigate what's in front of you and try to stay in the moment, stay present, stay happy, stay healthy. And that's why I like BetterHelp. Uh, because BetterHelp will link you with licensed therapists no matter where you are. You don't have to walk into an office and you get to you know try try out therapists and, and see if they're for you. And if you don't like who you have, you can change. So it lowers the barriers to entry, increases dramatically the amount of experts and licensed therapists that you can talk to. And uh, this is really critical. It's really critical to seek help when you need it. And if you're even asking the question, then it probably makes sense to take that step. So uh, you can go to BetterHelp, uh, and that's betterhelp.com slash M54 today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M54. Again, this is your way you could find therapists uh, no matter where you are in the country. If you're in a small town or a big city, uh, you could find somebody who's the right match for you. Uh, and they have so many people out there. I've heard so much about people finding finally the right person that you can talk to the right fit for you. So go out there uh, and sign up. Um, this is a great deal. So it's betterhelp.com slash M54. You get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash M54. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. This summer, you could spend thousands of dollars on planes, hotels, and tourist traps, or you could spend less money on a beautiful garden that will give you years of pleasure with fastgrowingtrees.com. Fastgrowingtrees.com has thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties expertly curated for your unique climate and needs from Meyer lemons to evergreens to shade trees to everything in between no more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around with fastgrowingtrees.com you can order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days you don't need to have a green thumb uh, fast growing trees plant experts are just a zoom chat or phone call away they're always available and eager to help and they can even walk you through your entire garden to help solve your problems that you're having with your plants and trees and you don't have to have a yard in order to take advantage of fastgrowingtrees.com I'm in my apartment in Brooklyn, and I have a ton of plants over here against my wall, including a little tree. And uh, they have house plants as well as plants that you could plant in your backyard. Uh, and so with Fast Growing Trees 30-Day Alive and Thrive Guarantee, you know everything will look great fresh out of the box. I didn't have to use that guarantee because all my plants are doing really well. So join almost 2 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to FastGrowingTrees.com slash 54 now to get 15% off your entire order. 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash 54. All right. Well, wrap up thought here, Jason. You know, the, I forget who said it. You know, who was the commentator who said that's why they play the game? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, f- I forget who said that. Uh, but, you know, that's why we have trials is what I was thinking about today as it relates to this, this particular indictment, which is obviously I have my opinions, but there are a lot of people out there who are kind of in a wait and see mode on this kind of stuff. And 
this is going to be riveting stuff. If we get to the trial, which I actually think there's a good chance we'll get to this trial, this is going to be a, a, a sort of a list of political weirdos, household names like Rudy Giuliani <laughs> sure. and Mike Pence are going to have to take the stand because they have a different obligation than Trump, who obviously has his, you know, he can he can use his Fifth Amendment privilege, which I imagine he will. God help us if he doesn't. Really, God help him if he doesn't, because oh that would that would be something. But um, these other people will have to show up, and that will make for some interesting, interesting television if we can get oh my, a camera in. Oh my gosh! Like, well. <laughs> You know, how about the fact that we've just talked about all these different indictments against this guy and like how hosed we believe he is in our expert legal analysis. And he's still like far and away the front runner for the GOP nomination. Like, like unless something really strange happens, this dude is going to be the GOP nominee. Right? I like, know. I mean, that is why the that's stakes. the thing. Every time you think you're, you can just take a break and just be like, all right, like an election that is like, quote unquote, normal, like Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama or John McCain versus Barack Obama, where yes, like, you know, I was very involved in those campaigns and especially the first one, the McCain one, and like cared deeply about the outcome of that election. But the difference between, you know, I was talking to my buddy Adisu about this the other day, who's very involved in these campaigns and has been involved in all of these. And I said to him, I was like, you know, like losing one of those other elections would have been like a really tough Bills playoff loss. Uh, this losing this coming one would be like losing a parent. Like it, the stakes have just gotten, right. uh, it's like gotten right. so much higher. Uh, every election is just like, you, you think you're done. But it's like, you know, like to use the overused metaphor, every, it's like the video game where you think you've beaten the boss, but then there's the big, big boss. It's like, this guy never goes away. Mike, it's like Mike Myers. This is an election about whether or not we're going to keep having elections. Like, Always, I mean, but I thought that was the last election, Jason. I, and so did I. Yes. That, and like, it's like, it's, it's too much. It, it's uh, unbelievable. And, and what I, what I think is yet to be seen and where, where, Look, we're going to get in in a second here to the the strength of Trump's actual campaign financially, but like what I can't figure out is because this seems so central to me and to you. It it seems and to my my Afghan friends when you explain to them the idea that this guy is probably going to be criminally convicted by this point and that because we don't ever it's never been spoken to in the law and case law or anything whether a president can run with a criminal conviction, right? that it appears that they can and that they can serve. We don't even know if they can serve in prison. It seems perhaps they can if the Supreme Court says they can. And it seems like the Supreme Court would say that they could. We don't know any of these things, right? Which means that the inclination is to be like, well, this is game over, right? Like the guy's a criminal. The guy did these things. This came out. But that's been the inclination for seven years with Trump is to say like, well, now this is disqualifying. And it turns out nothing. He actually could shoot a person in the street, like he said, and it wouldn't matter to a certain segment of the electorate. So it seems to me that in this coming election, the discipline to continue to talk about the things that affect people's everyday lives instead of the most monumental thing, maybe, that has happened in the history of the presidency short of like Lincoln having to fight a civil war may not be the most important thing for us to talk about to win the election, which is so confusing. Yeah, and we will come back to that when it comes to Biden and the economy yeah. because like... I guess it's still Carvel. It's the economy, stupid, which sounds crazy given everything going on. But 
you know, at least we've got some positive news there, but we'll get to that. But first, let's, let's, let's keep it on the election for a second. We already talked about the direct side fundraising reports that we got from the last fundraising quarter, like the campaigns directly, but this is confusing for listeners, but there are also the fundraising committees and political action committees, et cetera. And we've got some interesting news here. So Donald Trump's joint fundraising committee raised $53.9 million during the first half of this year for his campaign, which is a big haul. But his committees are burning cash as he mounts these legal bills. So these cases are making somewhat of a difference, at least on that front, uh, according to the campaign disclosures that they filed. Um, and so although he's taken in that $53.9 million over the first six months, he spent more than $52 million in the same period. So basically spent as much as he took in. Uh, and so, Jason, you, you've run campaigns before. That, that doesn't seem that... That's like that's not what you want to be doing this early in the cycle, I'd imagine. No, see, you want to have some money left for the campaigning <laughs> part, and yeah, and and now 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 don't get me wrong. In my experience, like what I learned was it is it is very important to make sure that you survive the almost go to prison several times part of every campaign uh, that actually doesn't exist in most. Um, but you know, you you also have to get to the playoffs, which is the political part, the the election part. Um, yeah, what I wonder is. I mean, clearly, a lot of it is his legal fees, uh, and also uh, got to pay as, for as, his his golf courses, you know, for the Secret yeah. Service to pay to stay at his golf courses or whatever. Well, and I think what came out recently is that he's he's also paying the legal fees of a lot of other people who have who have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, who are there are allegations against here, which is. Uh, which is not surprising, right? Because he wants those people to not testify against him. And so right. as long as he's the one paying their lawyer, uh, it's very difficult for them to roll on him. Um, but so there's all of that. But what I wonder is also how much of this is just the standard burn now that's in high high fundraising, high volume campaigns. Like, like there are people, if you look, there are plenty of people running for Congress and for Senate who their burn rate like the amount of money they're going through is very close to the amount of money they're raising because so much of it is like a, a volume game now where you go and you acquire lists and you spend money yeah. to 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 send out emails and to and to get people to give and to do the text uh, banking and yeah, everything. Yeah, these are those are the true grifters and they're on both sides right. of the aisle. Those email marketing firms. Good Lord, you know who you are. Some of you may be listening to this podcast <laughs> in, in your humongous mansion, wherever you are, <laughs> right. just to send a bunch of emails. Like these people are crazy. The, the numbers here, by the way, so the Save America PAC had more than $100 million at the beginning of last year. It now has only $3.6 million. I mean, that's amazing. And and I, I just cannot believe that 96 whatever million went just to lawyers in this thing. Like, uh, I, because first of all, if that were the case, there wouldn't be so many people quitting being his lawyer if there were that many people getting paid all the time, right? Um, yeah. So I, a lot of that, a lot of that I think is we got to continue, it's very Trump, right? Got to continue to look big. We got to continue to look intimidating and scary. And he, I'm sure, loves it and the campaign loves it every time that there is an indictment or a piece of bad news and then the, the next headline is, and he raised all this money. Yeah, because what doesn't get put out there is, and he didn't get to keep any of it because he yeah. spent all this money raising it. Um, well, well, it's fascinating. Also, this is a sliding doors moment. The PAC supporting DeSantis, the Never Back Down PAC, has uh, about ninety-seven million dollars in cash at the end of June. That is insane. So you could imagine, mm -hmm. like in a world where DeSantis 
and he transferred a lot of that is just transferred from his political operation in Florida, obviously. Um, I think 82 million of that was a transfer from his Florida operation. Um, you could just imagine the sliding doors moment where uh, if he just credibly launched and he he would be mm-hmm. sitting in a really good position right now. It's also worth worth mentioning that the trust in the mission pack. Uh, these names are incredible. This is the pack supporting <laughs> Scott raised uh, nineteen point three million and has about fifteen million in hand. So perhaps better than Trump. Although it's hard to say exactly what's going on inside of Trump's different packs because they're transferring money amongst a bunch of them. Uh, but man, like you know, if DeSantis was was even marginally better than he is right now, like this could really be a fight. Oh, he'd be in like a great position, right? He'd have the money. And think about it. Not only would he be in a great position, he'd be in an even better position than he is now financially, right? Because if, because right now he's got that amount of money and Trump has so little and he's getting crushed in the polls. If he had performed better and he still looked like he was on the rise and had a chance, then DeSantis would have a lot more money. More people would have invested in him. Uh, And so it is a sliding doors moment and it is a moment where, he really, really missed, it appears, missed an opportunity. Right, yeah. And it, there was also this fascinating article in Politico that basically looked at how f- Trump's fundraising tracks with these indictments, and they showed that the real fundraising haul came during the first indictment. Um, so he raised nearly $4 million via WinRed, which I guess is a subsidiary, uh, from nearly 80,000 distinct donors on April 4th, which is the day he pleaded not guilty in Manhattan court. By contrast, uh, when he appeared in Miami court on June 13th, um, he raised only $1.3 million uh, hmm. from just over 35,000 donors. So it seems like maybe there's diminishing returns to this stuff, but I'll never count out his supporters. I mean, they're as loyal as anybody out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, if you do the same joke multiple times, people aren't going to laugh as hard the third time. You know, They see the same right. magic trick the third time. So it's, I don't know if it, it, it certainly doesn't mean like they're not going to vote for him, they're not going to give to him, but there is an enthusiasm, uh, diminishing returns, right? Which can transfer yeah. to, to money. Well, I, I do think also that the, the mega wealthy donors at, seem to be cooling on Trump in some way. Obviously, there's always, he's always going to have his loyal supporters, but it seems like some of these networks, like the Coke network, et cetera, seem to be cooling on him and you know, you never know if they'll stay cooled on him, but there at least seems to be some movement there. Uh, obviously, our, our election system is so shoddy that, you know, one gazillionaire could make up for everybody else if they were really that motivated. And so, you know, I don't want to overread this. Uh, but okay, let's take another break, Jason. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a, a failed effort from Trump to subvert a different case that's making its way through the courts. Uh, and then we'll talk about Biden and this pretty amazing economic data that's been coming out and how Biden could seize the moment and actually gain some momentum heading into this election. All of that and more when we come back. This episode is sponsored by Roan. If you're like me, you understand the pains of finding what to wear. Most clothes are uncomfortable. They may be too tight. They never you know, actually fit your size because you know, a lot of us are not exactly small, medium, large, extra large. We're complicated. Sometimes when you find something you like, you can only wear it for a few hours before that important meeting or dinner, and then you have to change it into something else. And everyone wants to dress their best. You want to look good at all times. And frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and 
Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. And here's some anecdote. I'm wearing my Roan pants right now. And last week I was at a wedding. I wore my Roan uh, button-down shirt to the wedding at a formal wedding, and I will also wear it tomorrow when I just you know go into a coffee shop to have a meeting. It's that versatile. So it's time to feel confident without the hassle with Roan's wrinkle release technology. Wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. Yeah, I actually you know not so neatly folded that shirt in my bag for the wedding, and I was able to take it out and automatically I was able to put it on. It looked like I had ironed it, but I didn't. You know, it's an inside secret between us. So with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll also be smelling fresh and clean all day on top of that. Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can dish the dry cleaner all together. We're on the move a lot, and the Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. I absolutely love it. And even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that gold fusion anti-odor technology. At that wedding, I was dancing up a storm, wore it, no problems. So the commuter collection can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash majority and use the promo code majority to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order order when you head to rhone.com slash majority and use the code majority it's time to find your corner office comfort all right jason you know this is seems like small potatoes compared to everything else that's going on but i don't want it to get overlooked so a state judge in georgia this week also rejected trump's bid to derail a prosecution against him for trying to subvert the 2020 elections and so this is a nine-page ruling from fulton county superior court judge robert mcburney who said it's simply too soon for trump or his allies to seek to prohibit georgia prosecutors from continuing to investigate him in large part because he hasn't been indicted yet um seems like a critical detail so uh, and it's he he was pretty saucy uh, in in his in his ruling. I, we don't really have to go into it, but you know, score one well, for the like legal system is, here. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly like in this case, Trump's lawyers are basically arguing that because you've made it public that you're investigating our client, you are damaging his ability to like do well in his in his campaign, and that that's their argument. So. And the judge is like, uh, it appears that actually they've their public relations department has treated this the way they treat literally any other criminal case, and they're not doing it any differently because he's Donald Trump. Uh, so he's like, and so it seems a little early for you to object to that sort of thing. You, you can you can feel him basically like ribbing them and being like, so you think you're in quite a bit of trouble here? It appears, uh, and but without saying it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's turn to the actual president of the United States, Jason. Um, there has been a ton of interesting economic data out there that I think is not piercing through in part because of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. Um, the White House has spent much of the summer trying to lay out a theory of the economy. Um, I think it really hasn't pierced through. They call it uh, Bidenomics, and it's about, uh, quote, uh, growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up instead of the top down. 
and it's basically framed as opposition to Reagan-era trickle-down economics, uh, which was about cutting taxes and regulations uh, in the hopes that it would you know, make it down to the little guy. Bidenomics uh, is really a, a way of like capturing a bunch of very substantive but probably little understood pieces of legislation, including the American Rescue Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, the CHIPS Bill. I mean, my God, this guy's done a lot, uh, but also includes certain things <laughs> on the regulatory front, including um, certain attempts to you know, implement robust antitrust enforcement, eliminate junk fees, et cetera. Uh, Jason, what should the White House be doing here? I mean, this is tough. I actually, I mean, I think pushing this is exactly the right thing to do. I think it's exactly the right time, right? One, you want to brag about your economic record. Two, uh, I, I think it, it was very difficult for any previous Democratic president to step into the space, you know, in the last several years, to step into the space where they could say, here's, here's my version of economics, right? Because Reaganomics, you know, because Reagan was a popular president, right? And People like you and me and most of the people listening and watching this probably look back at Reaganomics and go, yeah, trickle down is fraudulent and, and, it's, and it's just basic supply side economics that screws people over. But Reagan was popular. And so there hasn't really been an opportunity to introduce an alternative to that, right? We've had, we've had a lot of different attempts to make an argument uh, about economics, but nobody has really had the gumption to be like, yeah, I'm going to have my own version. And, I, and we're just going to counter it. But what has changed is a lot of time has gone by. And the voters who idolize uh, Reagan uh, and put him on a, on a pedestal, uh, frankly, a lot of them have died. And, and of the ones who, uh, who are you know, still around for all of that and were very active and, and very involved politically or very uh, engaged politically during that time and loved Reagan, a lot of them have been like, transformed into a different kind of Republican now. And like Reagan's that Reagan's just not lionized even in the Republican Party the way he was. So there's an interesting space to do more than just say, here's my political argument or, or here's my economic argument, but to actually introduce here's my economic philosophy. And mm -hmm. if it can break through, I think it can really work because Democrats I have not in our lifetimes really had an opportunity to frame demand side economics, which is what this is. Uh, in a compelling way, because Reaganomics took up so much cultural space. Yeah, well, and and there definitely are some people who give him um, economists who are out there who look back historically and say Biden is one of the most consequential presidents in history, especially economically. Um, this Yale economist Jeffrey Sonnenfeld recently went on TV and basically pushed that point. Let's go to this clip. Let's just focus on the facts instead of throwing around the ideology. The facts are uniformly positive. We haven't seen an economy like this. And the Biden administration has been more successfully economically interventionist than the, than the New Deal, since the New Deal, yes. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's I a mean, big deal. Yeah, I would say so. I, and the question is, can he... You, you know, we forget how long it is between now and the election, and we forget things like when... Obama was running for re-election. It seemed like early in his second term that he was in big trouble, but he wound up crushing Romney in that re-election bid. And there, there are all sorts of historical examples of presidents, you know, Clinton in his first term, for example, who you know saw themselves you know fall to really low approval ratings, and then wind up coming back. And 
uh, and you know, to be clear, like Biden's numbers are pretty bad historically, but also like his opponent's numbers are horrible historically. And actually, his Trump's disapproval is lower than Biden's last time I checked it. Uh, and Biden is also not in the middle of you know a hundred indictments. Um, so I mean, there is the show trial of his son, which the GOP and the right wing media are are desperately trying to equate to what's happening with Trump. Uh, I think as long as we're you know vigilant. That will not be successful, uh, but yeah, um, I'm optimistic on this front. But I think it's always tricky when you're trying to tell people how to feel about an economy uh, as a president. It's mm-hmm. always a sticky. You know, there's all sorts of accounts of the Obama White House and all the debates they were having when numbers were turning around, but they were skittish about bragging too much about it because you look like you're out of touch. Yeah, and I think. The reason that introducing it as Bidenomics is helpful is because it gives, it creates a context for telling the story of the economy doing well, right? And that is that, again, going back to just explaining the concept of demand side economics, because when the majority of Americans, regardless of their political party, hear about demand side economics versus supply side economics, they have the reaction that my son had who's nine, when I was trying to explain the two different uh, political, like economic philosophies of the two parties. And I explained, well, see, this other side believes that if you, if you give more money back to wealthy people, that will trickle down to the other people. And he just stopped me and he was like, that doesn't make any sense, (laughs) which is how most people feel about it when you explain it that way versus demand side economics, which is what Biden calls growing from the middle out, which is just, hey, people who are, you know, not as wealthy, when they have more money in their pocket, they're more likely to spend it because they can't afford not to spend it. And therefore, that creates economic activity and more people end up in a position to get jobs because more people are buying stuff. And, and so like, it, it's, it's a rare thing because uh, usually as Democrats, we are used to it being really hard to explain our stuff, right? Because like on economics, it's like Republicans are always like, we think taxes should be low and everybody should be free to do all the business they want. And that is BS. That's not really what they're after. You know, that's a too oversimplified version, but it's easy to say. And then we always had this really nuanced version, but Bidenomics and growing from the middle out gets you closer to a place where you can more simply explain the idea of like, we want more people uh, in the middle class uh, to have more money so that they can spend it and create activity in the economy. Like, mm. or, I'm sure they've got better poll driven ways to say it. I used to say it as like, when uh, when the rich people are given more money, they keep it. And when the less rich people or the not rich people are given money, they spend it on stuff. And then people got to hire people to make or provide stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I do think it is an opportunity to do that. And with the economic indicators that are there, and I think more, look, you're not hearing people talk about inflation every day. You're not here. Now, this can change, right? Housing market can dip. All sorts of things can happen. But it is not. Uh, I mean, heck, Barbie and Oppenheimer were uh, were a huge thing, but inflation and the price of oil and things like that were not over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really good sign. Yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, somewhere there's got to be a list of all the different crises that either Biden avoided, like the banking collapse that kind of came and went, or the ones that came and that he fought back, like inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty wild. Um, 
this, they might have a, to be the first administration ever to do like a true soft landing, you know, bring down inflation without uh, spurring a recession. Who knows? Like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot left to done to be done before we could even say that. But, you know, what's interesting is the comparison of this economy to the FDR economy, right? Because what do the two things have in common? It, they're both, they both began with an enormous economic crisis uh, that provided the opportunity for a president to um, make real, to take really big swings and to do really big things, right? So, you know, obviously you had the depression and you had all of the huge steps that FDR took to create or, or to have the government place a, play a much larger role in the economy. And then with Biden, he came in with an economic crisis that was paired with, caused by and paired with COVID. And so in both cases, what you had is a democratic president in a position to actually to have the influence to do a lot of the things that democratic presidents want to do regardless, but they were in a position to do it. And what did you end up with? An economy that's working really well. And so the hope is, is that coming out of the Biden presidency, it, it looks more like the, the hangover we had of Reagan's popularity for so many years where people had like, where, you know, even Bill Clinton had to run some supply side ideas because people were still so in love with with the, with, you know, that Reagan era. And, you know, like he had to do the welfare reform and stuff like that. The hope is, is that this is, it creates the, the fertile ground for an argument that's like, no, when we take a much more active role in the economy and when the government does big things and spends money on big things that the private market will not spend money on, but that we need, it's really great for the economy and it makes the country stronger. Like, mm -hmm. That would be great if that's what Bidenomics is. I think it, we need it ultimately to be more than growing from the middle out. It needs to be government can be helpful. There is a greater role for government in, in our economy. Hmm. Well, well said. Uh, well, I think I have a grab and or this week, if you don't have one. Go for uh, it. Uh, so, you know, this is Group Arena that I helped start, uh, and they hold these academies, which for people who are listening, if you want to get involved in campaigns and politics, uh, it's a few day training. We now do them online and you could, you know, go through trainings on how to be a communications director, campaign manager, data director, operations director, digital director, field organizer, field director, et cetera. There's like tracks for almost every position in campaigns and so much of the Democratic Party leadership um, from you know, the tops of campaigns down to uh, local elections are staffed by people who go through these trainings. They're really awesome. And uh, Arena is holding their next training uh, from September 28th to October 2nd, uh, and you can apply to be a part of the Academy by uh, August 27th, and scholarships are available. You can go to arena.run to apply. That's arena.run, um, and you can get your application in by August 27th. Uh, so um, yeah, just want to direct people that way. Uh, Jason, what's been going on in your world? Uh, well, let's see. Um, the most, the most fun thing that I've had, I'll, I'll go to the dad, I'll, I'll dip into the dad vault of stories. Um, it, it was really fun. Uh, last weekend, True got to play on like, there's this thing they do the all state, like baseball deal. It's, we live in Kansas city. So you've got the metro area has Kansas and Missouri. So they play these games each at each age level of Missouri versus Kansas. And, you know, so some of the best kids from each of the top teams, uh, get to play in it. And so True got to play and he got his, 
his Missouri jersey that looks like a Mizzou, you know, University of Missouri jersey with his name and his, you know, usual number 56 on the back. And like, and, uh, and it was really neat because, uh, it, and, and like one of the other kids from his usual team made the Kansas team and like they, you know, got to pitch against each other. And, but it was cool to go out there and watch, uh, you know, some of the best little players play and like to watch nine and 10 year olds, like really not make errors. And every pitcher is like throwing really hard and throwing strikes. And like, it was some really good baseball, but what was really cool for me as a dad was, you know, after it, um, you know, true has, I think struck out twice all season and he struck out twice in this, in, in this game. And I was kind of like, I wonder how he's going to take this. Uh, I wonder if he's going to like come up with, you know, well, you know, uh, I almost hit it or whatever the, the umpire was bad or something. And true who has his mother's love of process without being, uh, so wed to results, which is so great for him. Uh, he, he said to me, he goes, dad, um, when we do batting practice, I want you to throw harder. I think I need to see more pitchers who throw that hard. And I was like, wow. okay. And, and, and that, so that just made me very happy that like. He must, if you only struck out twice, you must have an amazing on base percentage. Have we calculated yeah. this? Um, uh, no, it's all in, you know, of course at this, at this level now, uh, there it's all tracked in these apps and um, he's, he's got, his stats are ridiculous. Him and four or five other kids on his team. He's on a very good team. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so he's a very good well, maybe, ball player. Well, maybe you start live streaming those games because the Yankees over here aren't really giving us much to watch anymore. So, you know, it could be, could <laughs> be fascinating. Well, and, and the Royals <laughs> are giving people almost nothing to watch here. So, yeah, but yeah what about we're you? at the What's bottom of our division. Um, you know, New York has this weird quirk in the law right now where there's like a battle over Airbnb. And so for a brief period of time, you can Airbnb your apartments uh, in New York. Uh, and it basically goes on to like mid-September when there's like this moratorium that's lifted. So I've listed my apartment on Airbnb for like a high, like a, like a, more than it should be. But like basically being like, if anybody takes it, I'll just find somewhere to go. So like this past like weekend, somebody took my apartment. And so I had to leave basically Wednesday of last week uh, up until like Monday. So I had to figure out where to go. So I went upstate to Hudson, New York, which is a really nice little town. And I went to tennis camp. So basically I've been subsidizing my training for this Pura Vida Open thing I was telling you about where I'm playing my friend with the tattoo oh thing that's gosh. in the mix. So now I'm like subsidizing uh-huh. my, uh, my ch- tennis. So that's two weekends in a row of like very intense tennis. Um, yeah, so it's good for you. Th- Wait, so you just are like, you just, I've listed like, it yeah. and it's going to happen another week too. Somebody else has taken my apartment for another week. So, uh, I've just basically just find somewhere to go and, you know, all my travel, wherever I would basically want to go within reason is, is paid for by this Airbnb. And I've gotten really into being a host on Airbnb. I used to do this in Nashville where I had my house, which is like, in, was in prime location for bachelorette parties and stuff. But mm-hmm. here it's like. I really like the the sort of anytime you give me a score, I'm like super like like <laughs> achievement oriented. So that I'm yeah. like now I've got my one five star review, and I'm like very very invested in keeping that five star review. Which by the way, if you're listening to this, go online, give us a five star review, 
for this podcast because it really matters to us. <laughs> but yeah. uh, so like I was like really above and beyond. I met the guy. I had everything laid out. Got him a bottle of wine, and it was basically I was so annoying that he was basically like, "Yeah, okay, I've checked in. I'll get out of here." Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, so now, you're like, "Can I, can I stay? Do you need a butler?" All right. So now you could add uh, it to my list that I'm in the hospitality industry. I'm training because you know I've got this piece of land now in Costa Rica that I'm building a house with some of my friends, and so that'll be like an ultimate airbnb type of spot mm-hmm. eventually so i'm just i'm building up my my credit score essentially here for airbnb there is somebody listening to this right now who's been a majority 54 listener for a very long time who's like i will stay in ravi's apartment like it i mean be, this new like, building is incredible man like i haven't talked a lot about it but it's like uh it's 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 a really cool spot i've moved to brooklyn i complained a little bit about it but i'm really loving my life in brooklyn it's where i was born i guess it makes sense that i would i would you know, be a fish in water here a little bit. This, but this is a whole new revenue I've stream. You, I've left you speechless for you. <laughs> yes. No, no. Yeah, it, was the, it was the. Uh, it was the. It was the signal. <laughs> it was the yeah. signal. But but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like this is a whole new revenue stream for this podcast. It's like we could just people, you know, we could just be like, hey, Ravi's going out of town. Which listener I'm wants to stay place. in his place for a week? So. All right. Well, I've also found out, well, there's also just one last thing on the Airbnb front. My old apartment, which some of our listeners had commented on, was like an absurdly mm-hmm. below market place. They've now doubled the rent uh, after I've left and replaced the roof. And I'm trying to get the place back legally because I'm legally entitled to my old rent. And I want to get it and then Airbnb it back out. But the guy knows that's what I want to do, which I'm technically doesn't really fall within. So he and I are in this lengthy negotiation, <laughs> and I may grab back my old apartment. It'll be more rent now because I'm if I use it as an Airbnb, it's not entitled to it anymore. But um, yeah, so I may get that one back too. I'm basically going to be running a, a series of Airbnbs in New York City. It's my new yeah, job. You're, yeah, you're it's a lot of time for you're a real estate mogul now. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. good. Uh, all right this was fun remember to subscribe to majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts just search majority 54 and please leave a five-star review thank you to the Midas mighty remember we all have a platform make sure to use yours today